What's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in for another episode of Throat Punch Monday. I'm Lynn, otherwise known as Pacific Tita from VTT Veteran Trash Talk. And I'm joined with our special guest, Elisa Escalante. She is an Air Force veteran uh, and an author, and she was a mental health technician Mm -hmm. in Afghanistan. But we're going to get to that later. Um, My co-host, Cliff, has a PSA he wants to share with everyone. Yeah, so so I, yeah, I, every Monday I'm going to go on a little rant here. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm Cliff Bauman. I'm the mental health warrior on VTT. My podcast is on Tuesdays, and I'm always honored at the co-host here, Lynn, on Throat Punch Mondays. But so I, I, I brought this up to my son, and he's like, Dad, just shut up. So I'm going to ask you guys this question <laughs> or, or say what, what, what's kind of got me going today. Uh, so, you know, I noticed that a lot of IG photos or videos and TikToks and things are made in the bathroom, which is fine. I'm sure it's a quiet, safe space or, you know, Privacy. not a lot going on. <laughs> but, you know, the new iPhones nowadays, the cameras are extremely detailed. So if you would just please take a moment and wash your mirror before you take that photo and post it. I'm sure <laughs> a lot of your followers would appreciate it. We all don't want to see your spittle and whatever else you have on your mirror and your photo. It'll make your photo great. And so if you just take that little piece of advice, I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of hate mail now. Uh, hey, uh, that's all right. But. That toothpaste <laughs> on my mirror kind of builds character, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if it's part of your photo, then yeah, I get it. But if it's not, then, you know, wash your mirror. I'm kind of guilty of that. So <laughs> <laughs> like I said, my ADHD keeps me from having a dirty mirror. So I don't have to worry about it. I don't take photos in the bathroom anyway, because Lord knows nobody wants to see that. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> So, oh, oh, well, everyone, you hear that. Wash your mirrors before you take your photos, selfies and um, TikTok. What TikTok videos are you watching with dirty mirrors anyway? (laughs) I don't even have TikTok. It's whatever shows up on IG. Mm -hmm. I only have Instagram. So it says says from TikTok on it, right? Oh, they do the reels or whatever it's called. Yeah, the reels, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, well. And I got onto my son, too, because he had made one. I was like, Cliff, wash that stupid mirror before you do it. Right. All right. So that's Cliff's. Um, all right. So you guys, we have Elisa Escalante. Um, and like I said, she is an Air Force veteran and an author of the book Unseen. Uh, it's a really good book, you guys. I actually um, read part one. And it's really hard to put down. I'm, I'm so busy, you know, and working at home and I got so much things to take care of, but it's such a good book. And I, um, and we're going to get into that later. Um, but I kind of want to ask Elisa uh, Escalante, Miss Escalante, is that what you want to be called? Or <laughs> Elisa. Okay. So tell us a little bit about yourself, your background. I know that you joined out of high school. You wanted to do that since you were in eighth grade. I remember listening to another podcast that you did. Um, and then what made you join or uh, pick the Air Force? And, um, and also tell us what you did in the air force. Okay, sure. Um, my father was a Marine. That's why I picked the air force because of his, <laughs> his advice. Cause you didn't want, you didn't want to eat crayons. No. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny. I looked up to him too. I said in my mind, I was thinking I'm either going to be a Marine like him, or I'm going to go in the air force. Like he's convincing me to do. Um, and then I went, for the air force. And I credit that to him taking me to air shows every year. And I don't know me falling in love with the airplanes, the jets, even though I wanted nothing to do with working on them. I just, the Navy (laughs) has airplanes. (laughs) I'm just saying (laughs) blue angels. No, 
water ocean army. yeah i know <laughs> i i am more okay. some people think i'm crazy i am more afraid of the ocean than i am of being up in in the air i love i love fly i don't get to fly but i love riding in planes i loved riding in helicopters even overseas i i love being in the air the ocean scares me i, I can't do that but <laughs> air so yeah I, and I, since i knew that I wanted to do it. I joined pretty fast, um, 12 days after high school. And when I was in, I was able to get the mental health technician, um, job. Um, and you know, that is basically, I could describe it as a paraprofessional. Um, most of what we do is maintaining the records, answering the phones, booking the appointments, but we also did the psychosocials for the therapists as well as the psych testing. So we did, interview clients, you know, we did test them, scored the testing, um, but we just did not give the actual therapy ourselves. Okay. Um, so that's so interesting because when I was in the early two thousands and I got out, out in 2013, um, I never heard of a mental health clinic technician or even it being offered as a job or MOS or rate in, you know, in the Navy. Um, and there's such a big stigma, you know, and you talk about it in your book about active duty going to try to seek help, especially back in, in my day. So and I know my day wasn't that long ago, but it was a lot of stuff has happened since then. Um, what made you want to become a mental health technician? And is that what you signed up initially um, in the Air Force? Yeah, first, I want to uh just the answer to what you said, I think the reason you never heard of it is because for the Navy, um, you'll have to be corpsman first, and then it's okay. decided you want to go into the behavioral health route. While the Navy is the only branch that does that, though, that requires you to be the corpsman first or medic for those that don't know what a corpsman is. But I want to respect the name corpsman because I know it's important. Um, but the other branches, you can go directly into the mental health field. Besides the Marines, of course, which doesn't have medical. Um, now, your next question. Oh, what, why did, did I want to be a mental health tech? Um, yeah, did you specifically say, hey, I want to go in there and just like be a mental health person? Like, how did right that? Out of high school. Yeah, especially right out of high school. How, do you, how did you know that's what you wanted to do? Or did you just fall into that? What happened was a lot of people told me I should be a therapist one day <laughs> when I was younger. And I remember being torn, like, what, do, what am I going to do when I grow up? This sounds funny now. What am I going <laughs> to grow up? Am I a therapist or am I going to go in the military? And when I found out there was a, a mental health tech job in the military, I thought, well, that, that just seems like the right thing. Um, I also uh, wanted to be a physical therapy technician, um, but that wasn't available. So what happened was to get in fast, I went open general. I took a risk. You know, they could have put anything, but mm -hmm. the recruiter gave me some really good advice on what to do to get the job I wanted. So I took his advice and I um, brought things to prove that, hey, this is the job for me. You should pick me for this. Um, and then it, it just happened to work. And I, and I got in that position. So that's you know, really... That Go ahead, Cliff. Sorry. <laughs> I'm just going to say that's the difference between an Air Force recruiter and an Army recruiter because an Army recruiter would never give you good advice. <laughs> Dave. No. So that. in the Navy, they'll say, um, yeah, go in undesignated and then you're ending up chipping paint and like right. doing like the world's worst job, the world's worst job <laughs> yeah. or 
getting blown off of the deck by um, jet blast. I don't know mm-hmm. for fun, <laughs> but um, so the, so that's, that's really cool that they allowed you to do that and gave you those tools to help you become um, a mental health technician. Um, did, was it like a package that you had to um, turn in? Like, what is the, what do you do to be able to do that for our viewers who don't know? Um, really, it's a matter of timing. If you really, if you really want the job, you have to have the patience to wait for it. Cause most of the times, if you want to get that job and guaranteed, you have to wait eight or nine months on average to get in the military. Um, <clears throat> but since I was in such a rush, I, he basically, <laughs> To piggyback on the recruiter thing, he finally gave me that advice. At first, he was trying to convince me to work on airplanes, and I just kept saying, no, 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 I don't want to be an airplane mechanic. Um, And then eventually he said, fine, you want to go and open general, take the risk. The only thing I can tell you is bring your your honor certificates, bring your peer mediation certificate, because that was a volunteer thing that I did when I was in high school. I was helping high school students mediate when they had arguments and that that was a really cool thing to do and but basically they gave me a certificate for that so he was just telling me things and show them that maybe you'll get mental health that's that's how he worded it and so I said fine I am gonna do that because it's (laughs) the only other thing I could think of to put on the list is EOD and not because (laughs) I my dad did it you know Mm -hmm. so what did you do before leading up to becoming that technician boot camp and tech school. Uh, Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Tech school was 13 weeks. Um, At the time, it's longer now. Um, And then I did what they call the LSD tour because our boot camp is in Lackland. Uh, My tech school was shut. I got stationed at Dias in Texas. So it's just the LSD tour is touring around Texas. All around Texas. I mean, that's a whole country in itself, people would argue. So People don't realize how big Texas is till you drive in it, mm-hmm. right? Oh, and then you realize how huge it is. Huge. When people huge. talk about it, I'm like, what are you referring to exactly? Because it's so different. And, you know, I, when I was younger, I lived in Houston for about five years. So one, I was a little disappointed because I thought I was going to really travel, but that didn't happen. And it's just more more traveling around Texas. But um, the, the cool thing is it was still, it was comfortable and I had family scattered around there to visit. That's yeah. I have, I have family all over Texas. Actually it is. I mean, you're pretty much traveling to get from Houston to Houston. It's like over an hour <laughs> with the traffic. Right. So yeah. same thing with Dallas or San Antonio. Um, so when you became a mental health technician, you got, uh, you went to Afghanistan and you were with a fob with the army out there. Right. And I'm sure that was um, tough because you got to experience a lot of things firsthand and um, a lot of accounts, firsthand, firsthand accounts from other soldiers. Right. Oh yeah, absolutely. That was, that was in a 2012. So I, I was in, since I enlisted in 08, that was about four and a half years into my enlistment four years in to the enlistment. Um, At least with uh, the Air Force, they don't let mental health techs deploy until they're at least a five level, which I think is a good idea because Mm -hmm. we definitely need that extra training before we go out there. Um, Because as much as I'd interviewed hundreds and hundreds of people already, doing it there is just different. And it's still intimidating, no matter how much practice you have. Um, 
you know, and I think I highlight it in the book that one of the harder things about it is just you're so entrapped in that lifestyle, no way out that it's really hard to give people a sense of hope, like when you're in a combat zone. And there's only so much you can really tell people when they're trapped there, especially if they've got eight or nine months left on their deployment. I was on an army fob. They hate us anyways. We're Air Force, you know. (laughs) No, we don't hate you. We don't hate you. We're just jealous of you, but we don't want to admit to it. (laughs) So it's a big difference. (laughs) I I, like the non-argument non-argument approach because I I was ready for it you know they come in the waiting like oh air force huh six month deployment huh you're in an air air conditioned room right jealousy jealousy did you guys get like steak and lobsters flown in or no (laughs) (laughs) no not the chow hall had steak fridays but I but I I wouldn't wasn't the appetizing but um (laughs) It was nice. Uh, but yeah, I was That's ready nice. for it. I just, instead of arguing, I sit, I nod and I say, you're right. I chose the right branch. Mm-hmm. That, you know, I'm Jealousy not gonna... again. Jealousy. <laughs> Never jealous. I, I know that your first chapter in part one was called therapy in a war zone. And that's kind of what you mentioned is that it's hard to like try to get people um, well enough and emotionally stable enough to go back out there and do it all over again. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I think um, one of the things that really stood out in the first thing that stood out in your book was that um, when it comes to resiliency or PTSD or mental illness, um, veterans and military members are like really high functioning and they can hide it really well and Mm -hmm. make it seem like they're fine when, when they're not, you know, so Mm-hmm. It's a requirement. In fact, when you think about the conditioning we had in boot camp, you know, all, you know, there's so much physical to it, but the psychological conditioning, what are they really telling us and teaching us to do? Mm-hmm. It's be okay and be fine, no matter what kind of stress you're under and place the mission above all, no matter what kind of stress you're under. Mm-hmm. So essentially it's, um, it, it gives us that all around mentality that this comes above my mental health, this comes above my self care. And, and not only that, it becomes normalized. Yeah. It don't right. even realize how much we started to prioritize the mission above our sense of self. And, and then eventually that manifests into identity issues and, mm-hmm. you know, all types of stuff. Burnout. So, yeah, you know, I'm kind of curious, and I get asked this a lot, but you know, when, when those soldiers would come in to see you from the combat zone, how, how were you able to build that rapport with them? You know, cause you have to do it quickly, you know, cause if they don't have that sense of trust or they, they feel like they can open up to you and not, right. you know, if they don't have that, they're not going to do it. And so how are you able to break that barrier? Cause that's a big barrier. Mm-hmm. And even in the war zone, that barrier is, you know, 20 fold and it is really impressive. And I'm just really kind of curious to get your perspective on how were you able to get past that first barrier? Now, are you talking specifically in, in the combat zone or once they come back home? Well, whenever you sit down for the first time to speak with that soldier, yeah. whether they're coming back from a combat zone or they're in it. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I, I'm just myself, really. Um, I think that's something that, that was a compliment I got for the clients that did like me. They, they always said they felt like they were talking to a real human. I wasn't trying to be that, you know, robotic government type person with a pen and what really helped 
honestly was just going through everything with them um, because I was in the military, because I did deploy. And then I got out and worked with veterans. I was on this journey with them throughout my entire mental health career. And I, I think that's what really helped because I could get thrown the accusation of, well, you didn't serve, you don't know. And I would say, oh, well, yeah. I mm-hmm. did actually serve. And you didn't deploy, you don't know. I did deploy. And, mm-hmm. you know, you right. Oh, and then they don't know. I always looked kind of young too. So a lot of people, <laughs> like when I started working for the VA, they didn't realize what my background was until yeah. I told them. So just, just my personal experience helped build rapport. And yeah, we don't talk too much about ourselves with our clients, but yeah. you know, I could tell them what my background is and you know, they, that helped give them some comfort. You know, I'm never going to know everything someone has gone through, but sure. you know, it's just just that ex- that experience alone through the military um, it, and it helped and it comes out in the therapy session mm-hmm. all the time even just as simple as they don't have to break down military lingo to me because right. I already the acronyms and everything and that can be very frustrating if somebody's already not mm-hmm. in, a, in a good position or in a good spot you know when you finally make that choice to go see somebody to seek that help and then you have to over explain every little thing and that just becomes a lot more cumbersome and you know, the fact that you took the time when you saw a client for the first time and, and let them know about your military background and kind of open up to him a little bit, I can understand why they would feel comfortable in talking with you. Because like you said, if they're too, too click clinician, just, you know, start writing stuff down immediately. It kind of puts people at a, at a, at a guard already puts that barrier up. Right. Yeah. And that's some of the things that um, she talked about in uh, part one of the book was, um, just connecting as a human being and being real yeah. with them. And, and then um, sensitivity was last, right? Cause it kind of shows, shows veterans or military people as a, as a weakness. We don't want to seem weak. We want to be strong. We want to be, yeah. we want to fight. We're angry. I want to get things done. You know, like don't, don't paint the picture that I'm a weak person with emotions. So that's like the last thing. <laughs> right. So <laughs> I know that was uh, my issue when I first got out and they were sending me to psychs and therapy and, um, the the people who I was talking to had no idea and just had looks of shock on their face and never experienced being in the military. And that kind of, that really turned me off. And I know sometimes they even pass judgment and I was like, okay, that's it. That's why yeah. it took me so long to get the help that I actually needed um, for PTSD. So I, I, I just got like dropped the VA like a hot potato and I was like, I'm done. Um, but, but through the years, I know that, um, there's so much more advancement. They actually have women's clinic. They have PTSD clinic. They have MST clinic now. So there's so much, um, that has changed. So I want to fast forward from your military experience to what you did after the military. Um, I know you worked for a foundation, um, researching suicide. Can you talk to us about more about that? Sure. Um, Before I did that, I worked at the vet center. If you want me to cover that just a little bit. Yes, please. (laughs) Please. I I think it's because, and I know it's not your fault. I was very subtle in the book. I didn't actually put where I worked in my book because I didn't want any conflicts, you know, but I, I was working for the VA, but specifically for a vet center, which, um, and I think it's important to talk a little bit about the difference because although we're VA employees, vet centers were created for the very reason that you're talking about. Um, it was initially for Vietnam veterans because they stopped going to the VA due to the lack of trust, which, you know, there's very valid reasons why we wouldn't trust the VA after we get out. Um, so because the 
the suicide epidemic for Vietnam veterans was so, so awful and skyrocketing, they created Operation Outreach, which later turned into the Vet Center. It was supposed to be temporary, but the Vietnam veterans love Vet Center so much that they lobbied to make it a permanent thing in our country. So now there's 300 Vet Centers in the U.S. And what's different them is one, they try their best to make sure at least half the clinicians are veterans themselves. And two, it's specifically for combat veterans and or military sexual trauma. So much higher trauma caseloads, uh, more trauma specialties and more veterans in the vet centers. Um, so whenever, whenever anyone is having issues with the VA for whatever reason, when it comes to therapy, I often encourage the vet center if they're eligible, like, hey, you might want to check it out. Um, what, and what I, loved, what I loved about it was the freedom that they gave me as a clinician, because unfortunately, the VA, with all the red tape, um, they have so many mandates on what type of modalities you have to use for your clients and the time frame for your clients versus the vet center, which is you meet the client where they're at instead of um, being specific with the treatment modality and force feeding CBD or prolonged exposure or EMDR, you get to decide on a focus area. They don't want to do deal with their trauma right now. And they want to deal with their housing, you know, or they want to deal with their basic needs or yeah. their marriage. They get to choose that and we get to meet the client where they're at. And also it's a lifelong benefit if they're eligible, meaning we don't have to just push them away after six months. No or yep. So that's what I like about. Um, so that's nice. I, that's what turned me back onto the VA. Um, I was in Oklahoma, fortunately, and they have one of the best VAs I've been to. I've lived in eight different States. So, <laughs> um, since getting out, uh, but, uh, in Oklahoma, they have the vet center there and everyone's a veteran. You have to be a combat vet. You have to show proof that, okay, you were in the combat zone or expeditionary, which I was both. Um, yes. So, um, and, and they like didn't pass judgment. They were just there to listen. And what's cool is I know that I stopped going for a while because, you know, PTSD, I don't want to talk to anybody about stuff sometimes. And they'll just check on me on their own. And they'll call me like in a couple of weeks, like, hey, Len, what's up? What you doing? What's going on? And they still send me emails to this day. So I really do recommend Vet Center also. Yep. So from firsthand experience. That's great. And, and I'm glad to hear what you're saying about Oklahoma too, because I never really heard much about what type of veteran services are in Oklahoma. Oh my God, they're great. Like here, I'm, I moved to Jacksonville to get an appointment with my primary care doctor. It took three freaking months and then wow. they were on leave and then they had to reschedule me. So then they put me into the next doctor who had a cancellation. So I had to change um, primary care doctors right away in Oklahoma. If I wanted an appointment, I would get one that week. Wow. So I think um, the difference is having that big hospital there here. The hospital is in Gainesville. So we only have clinics and not mm. um, very much resources. So but either way, <laughs> so yes, vet center. So after you did the vet center, um, what did you, what did you do from there? I last year went through a uh, kind of traumatic breakup in New York City, and I was already burning out a lot from being a therapist. Um, I experienced a lot of secondary trauma, you know, for obvious reasons, and um, 
so I, I think what happened was the burnout met with the horrible breakup and I decided, I guess I need to resign a little sooner than I thought. Um, and I did. And, you know, I, as stubborn as I am, I finally, I, you know, called up my father. He's a hero, right? I'm in 13 years. I'm finally admitting defeat. I need help. Please take me away from New York city and bring me back. Like bring me back home. So he did last year. Hey, there's nothing little- wrong with that. I called my nothing. dad after a bad breakup to help me move. Uh-huh. So yeah, that was um, before I got married, but yeah, nothing wrong with that. At least you have that good support system, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Daddy's girl forever. That's mm-hmm. important when we can actually do that. And it's amazing when people, when people have it, and most of the time, maybe we have someone there, but we're too afraid to admit it or ask help. And I finally did. I'm glad I did. I took five months off. Then I got this um, part-time working from home job, uh, coding air force suicides for 2020. And yeah, that's the, that's the one that um, I had mentioned to you. Um, so I went, I went to research for a while and, and it was really, really good. I, I don't regret it. <laughs> I learned a lot. So what you did was research, um, veteran suicide. So military active military members and veterans in, in the air force, or was it all branches? It was active. It was specifically active duty air force. Mm-hmm. 20. So okay. the, it was a contract. We were doing specifically air force 2020 suicides. The Navy ones had already been done. Um, Cause I remember speaking to some of the other coders about that. And so, yeah, we, we were and by coding. What I mean is, we were actually going into the police reports, their medical and mental health records, the autopsies. Um, and we were putting all the findings leading up to the suicide, you know, yep. whether substance abuse, interpersonal stress, medical stress, mental health stress, military stress, transitional stress. They had all these categories. I was proud of the project, you know, mm-hmm. and you sure. always find, find things yeah. that are but at the same time, I was proud to see that, wow, we're taking this a lot more seriously. Like yeah. now there's heavy research into this. Yeah. If you got anything to say? Well, I, I just, yeah. well, you know, my suicide attempt was in 2002 and things were completely different back then. You know, back then, you know, that you, if you had a mental health issue, they put you on medical order for 60 days and they chapped you out. You know, I was lucky I got to stay in. And I talk about that. And, it, and it's pretty amazing that the Air Force and other services now are taking the time and looking at the importance of going back after somebody had completed suicide and see what led up to that and what they could or may or may not have missed. Uh, and then mm-hmm. maybe they'll shape the training so where maybe a better airmen and, and sailors and, and soldiers will be able to recognize those those issues and problems in their in their partner and their, their buddy uh, before they happen. You know, at least people yeah. get to the point to where they, you know, um, are going to hurt themselves or do something else or be brave enough to ask for help. You know, I, I didn't ask for help, uh, you know, when I was going through my issues. But just some of the things that you talked about, you know, with the alcohol and work stress and all that, I had all that stuff. So it's pretty amazing. Yeah, that's definitely there- important research done. Yeah. There's there's a lot of factors. Um you know, I know because of the fields I've been in, you know, a lot of people come with the question of what do we do? What can we do? Or what's the issue? Like, why? You know, a lot of whys. And, yeah. and, and it's 
been a frustrating question to me because you know there's not one simple answer. There isn't. There's, there's no way I can just sit with someone for five minutes and say, oh, this is exactly why military members and veterans are committed, committing suicide at a rapid rate. It's not a five-minute conversation. No. That's like a lifelong conversation. Um, and the more, the deeper you get into this work, the more you see it's just like a, a onion and you're just peeling back all these yeah. layers of time. Especially once military members leave the service, you know, it's a whole period of trying to adjust back into civilian yeah. life. Mm-hmm. And you're so used to masking your emotions and thinking that everything's going to be good. Mm-hmm. And I'm sh- the, the numbers that we know are only the numbers that our people are getting help or the people who have completed it. You know, what about the ones yeah. who haven't gone? And I'm sure there's a lot more because there's so many military members out there who say, well, um, I didn't have it as bad as them. So I'm not going to go seek help Mm -hmm. because I don't need it, you know? And so you see that a lot. I I hear that a lot when I go out and do my speaking events, you know, somebody or or write on my Facebook page or something that comes up a lot. Another thing I was was surprised about is the number of veterans out there who's never applied for VA benefits. You know, we talked a little bit about this on the last show. And they're like, well, I just, I was never in combat or I just never did it or I never did that. I got hurt in AIT and had to get medically chaptered out. I'm thinking, but you're entitled to it. It doesn't matter what you did or didn't do. You joined the service. So you're entitled to it. Go out and file um, because it's important. And, and a lot of people don't think they deserve it. And they, they, everybody deserves it that served. I don't care what you did. You, you all deserve it. Everybody needs to go out there and do the VA benefits. Go on VA.gov and start filling it out right now today. <laughs> That's my second public service announcement. There you go. <laughs> Our um, outreach manager at uh, the New York Harbor Healthcare VA. Yeah, it, it, it's Brooklyn, Manhattan, Queens. Sorry, I'm just trying to remember the name. But he said it best. He said, if you have had any type of injury while you served, whether it's physical or mental, you are entitled to claim it. Doesn't mean you're going to necessarily receive all the benefits. But if you have been injured from service, you're entitled. Yeah. You're entitled to claim. It, it's that simple. Right. I like you're rating at zero. You're still entitled to something. So I didn't yeah. mean to cut you off. No, no problem. Like I'm, I'm really glad he said it that way because that was a really good way to destigmatize it. Because when friends hear disabled, yes, 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 yes. You know, like yeah. they, they think completely opposite missing a limb or you're in a wheelchair. Or, and I know, hear that a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're like, well, I'm not disabled. So why would I get disability? I still have all my limbs. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they should mm-hmm. change it. VA disability, they need to change it to something else. And I think more people would file, you know, mm-hmm. and I was telling Linda the other day, my brother who served, you know, 20 years in the guard, he never filed for his VA stuff. And I finally got him to file last year after I was going through the VA stuff with me retiring after 34 years. Uh, and I was like, Chris, why didn't you ever file? And he's like, yeah, I didn't think I was enjoying it. He, he had severe PTSD issues. So, you know, it's, there's a lot of people out there that didn't. And like I said, well, and we said, they, they just need to go and file. Yeah. They, they, and it, I write about this in the book too, that there's a, there's a reason it's not happening enough. I mean, it's serving in an organization that encourages you to fake it, to fake yeah. mm-hmm. like you're fine and to not have to go to sick call. I mean, cause let's be real. Sometimes we're very heavily discouraged to go to sick call. Yes. Even sick. Mm-hmm. And so we're constantly being told and reinforced this idea of you're weak if you need any kind of help. So then unfortunately, because of that, we don't 
put our illnesses on record while we're in the, then once we get it, especially when the symptoms start hitting harder as we age, all of a sudden it's like, oh, maybe we do need to claim this, but oh, no evidence that you had any issues in the military. Then, you know, the, the legal point of view from a, because I'm a clinician, so I'm different. I'm, I can totally see why someone suffered in silence through their entire military career. Correct. But yeah. lawyers cannot necessarily see That's that. Like, well, if you if you were ill, why didn't you get help? You know, right. that, that's her question most of the time. Well, and that's, you know, that's a problem because, you know, most people who, especially officers, I was a warrant officer uh, before I retired, they're, you know, the medical record through their 30 years of career is like this. And then three weeks before they retire, it's like this, you know, right? Because then they start, you know, a year out, they start going <laughs> like, well, let me and claim all that now. note and all the issues and problems that they had. Um, now, I never Almost. did that. If I, I had issues, I probably had a whole medical record, but, you know, I had 10 years of therapy on in mine. Uh, so it was easy to form. But there's a lot of people out there who said that they don't talk about the mental health issues at all, uh, especially if you're a woman and you suffered, you know, MST while you're in the service. A lot of women don't, don't talk about it. Uh, you know, and then they get out and they go through the VA system or start going through the VA system. It's very difficult for them. Uh, very cumbersome. And I think a lot of them just give up and when they shouldn't give up. Uh, so it, it's hard and it's a big problem. And I just hope that that a lot of people out there just say, hey, you're worth it and you need to go forward and do it and, and get the help and the benefits you're entitled to. Absolutely. Um, so Elisa, I wanted to ask you as a uh, mental health um, technician and a clinician, um, and you've, you've experienced some things while active duty, you've been to a war zone where do you, do you go to get help? Do you get therapy? I mean, um, how does all of that affect you, um, post-military and even when you were active duty in the war zone? Yeah. So, um, in the war zone itself, I wouldn't say there was many options. Um, maybe I could have seen the chaplain. I don't think I, yeah, there was one on our file, (laughs) but at the time, the thing is active duty mental health techs, active duty medics as well. They're not getting help. They're especially not getting help. I mean, they, when you're the caregiver, you do not know how to be in the role of getting taken care of. Um, and the other thing was me being in the field I was in, I knew exactly what was going on with me. By the time I was in Afghanistan, I finally started to piece together oh, I've got this issue. I've got that issue. However, if I admit that and it gets on record, they could push me out of the military. So I knew what was going on with me. I knew I had to hide it. I hid it very well. Um, So even as a technician, you still knew that you had to hide that or you would get pushed out as well. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Unfortunately, you know, I, some, some mental health techs do get help and then they're able to stay in. It, it really depends on your diagnosis. When people ask, does going to mental health risk your military career? That's not a yes or no answer. That really depends on what your diagnosis is, how severe it is. And mm-hmm. if they, maybe they just need to cross train you to something better, or maybe they do have to med board you out. You just never know. Um, okay. So I, I, I steered clear of telling anyone, no, it won't impact your career. Cause that's a lie. Like it could impact your career. Yeah. Um, I didn't get help till I got out and it wasn't until like years after I got out because yeah. I was, I was stubborn. I was just like most, I was just like, I mean, most you're a veteran. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I was just, but you know, I've had multiple therapists. I've gone to a couple of groups as well. Um, and you know, it, it's extra hard 
it, I feel like it is extra hard when you are a clinician. I, I'm yeah. very, <laughs> and you know, a lot of times I'm, I'm reading through the, you know, the lines of what they're telling me and I'm kind of knowing what, what's going on in there. So it's, it's tricky. It's tricky dynamic, but yes, I have, I have tried therapy. Some of it has been very helpful. Some of it was terrible. Um, and also I've read self-help books too, but, but that you can't go wrong with that. Oh, here's one right here. Right. That's right. Unseen. <laughs> that's what helps that's, me that's a lot. What the, I want, I, I'd like for you to get into. I'd really like mm-hmm. for you to dive in on, you know, somebody who wants to go out and looking at buying your book, whether, well, why would they want to buy your book and what are they going to get out of it? Uh, once they read your book and, and really help our viewers understand, uh, you know, why it's important that, that you wrote the book, why you wrote the book, but really, you know, what are they going to get out of it by, by reading your book? I mean, I mean, we could say that, but I really want you to hear it from you. And, and, and so sell us the book right now. Sure. <laughs> so <laughs> what you'll get, whether you're military, a veteran, someone who is trying to get in a helping profession to help veterans, or you're a veteran family member, spouse, you're going to learn a lot and you're not going to have to deal with and navigate the quote unquote psycho babble that you see in most texts that have to do with military trauma or veterans and PTSD. This is a relatable read. It is something where I decided to be about 75% veteran and 25% clinician because more than anything, I want someone to be able to understand from the first piece to the last, like the messages that I'm trying to put out there. And what you're going to learn some things about yourself or the person that has served that you care about by reading this. And maybe it'll even convince you to go to therapy or maybe it'll just help give you the reminders that um, there are some things that you may need to do differently and especially prioritizing your self-care. You know, one thing I, I talk about on my program, Mental Health Warrior, and something I've always talked about is with PTSD, you know, one thing just isn't going to fix you at that moment of time. So you have to have multiple tools in your toolbox. You know, as, as aviation for 34 <laughs> years, we got tools for everything. Uh, but, you know, I think it's important in, in, in your book, I think if, if somebody would get it and read it and kind of take it to heart, I think that would just be another tool in their toolbox that they could have to, to look back on. Uh, and take things, being that you were a clinician and the fact that you did deploy, you have that experience, you had that relatable experience. And I think a lot of people uh, would really benefit from that. Yeah. Just by reading the uh, first part of it, it was so straight. It was really straight to the point. It's not, uh, you call it psycho babble, (laughs) like all the technical jargon and all that um, fancy uh, medical stuff. That, I mean, some of that was in there. But I think for, uh, as far as reading the first part, a lot of it was relatable. Um, and then I did learn a lot of stuff about me. And I wish that when I first got out that there was something, a book like that available to me, then I would be like, oh, well, you know, this is this is why I'm this way. Or I maybe I wouldn't have waited so long to get help because when I first got out, nobody really knew about PTSD. I mean, like, Yes, it's PTSD, but what is that really? Like I was in denial for so long that I had it. And so I think it definitely helps uh, veterans to, you know, be more self-aware. And also what um, what I liked about the book is that I mean, it could be for professionals also. Like, I wish that a lot of these professionals would read that because it would help them understand us more, you know? 
Especially if you had I, no military experience and you treat the right. military personal, mm-hmm. right? Um, I, and I've had those therapists and, and you you talked about it too, Lisa, that, you know, if, if, if they don't understand that, then the veteran's not going to open up and have a hard time. And, you know, I've gone to therapists that when I was talking about something, they would always interrupt me or they would, you know, talk over me or they would, you know, they wouldn't, I just felt like they wasn't listening to what I was saying. I feel like and they that, made it about them instead yeah. of us. Yeah. And I think maybe because they didn't understand, you know, um, they didn't understand the situation I was telling them about because they'd never been there, right? They never deployed, they never, you know, of course, my biggest trauma is 9-11, but they never been in that moment or there. And so they had a hard time relating to it where you and your book, you know, you kind of relate to that because you were there and you've done that, been there, done that, right? And you understand it. Yeah. And that's the thing. If And this goes for every human being. If we cannot relate to something directly, what do we actually, we go with what we read about it. So if they have not been there, they're going to, I think what happens is their mind is going to go right back to the textbook answers that they, you know, read about. And, you know, that's, that's just very human nature. And I think a lot of it has to do with the nervousness too, of not being there. I imagine some civilian clinicians get very nervous. Um, sure. or I they were bad clinicians. I'm not saying that they were bad. I'm just saying I just couldn't relate to them. I, I'll, yeah. I'll throw that disclaimer out there. Oh, no. <laughs> and and you're right. Thing from good, bad, and in between. Yeah. Uh, some civilian, I, I've seen some really bad ones. I've worked with sure. some really yeah. bad Fortunately, and then I've worked with some where I say I tell them I applaud you for working with veterans as a civilian because you don't have that extra thing that bond. You have to work that much harder to try that trust, and that's a lot of work. Um, So I, you know, I I had to give praise to some of them, especially because there's just not enough veteran clinicians out there to help Mm -hmm. all the that need help. So we need their help, and hopefully more like like what y'all were saying more i would love for this to get into a college classroom mm-hmm. like yeah there are- i feel like it's man it should be mandatory that is really it's <laughs> right? it's such a good read um yeah. and what i and what i notice is that there are uh personal accounts in that book there is um firsthand experiences um from different walks of life and um just experiences at being active duty from war zone to, you know, being in the barracks or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And um, what I like about it is that people who do have triggers, it's very easy to just skip over that because, you yeah. know, so the text is a little bit different, but you'll, you can see that it's a, it's a story and it's a mm-hmm. firsthand account of something um, and you don't necessarily have to read it. You can skip over that and just read through the other parts of the book. Yeah. So, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about that, Elisa? Yeah. And I'm glad you brought it up. I mean, I toyed with the idea of putting those in there, you know, for a good amount of time. It's (laughs) the kind of thing I stayed up at night just wondering is this, should I do this? Should I not do this? Should I put these raw traumatic Mm -hmm. triggering stories in this text? And ultimately I decided I have to, like it -hmm. would do the book a disservice if it was left out. And I think in order, especially for civilians that want to read this and spouses, you know, military spouses want to read this, they need to really see just how bad it can get to understand why these symptoms are so serious. Otherwise they're be confused. Like what in the world they were with me then, you know, six months to a year later, they come back home and all of a sudden everything is different. Why, Mm -hmm. what could it possibly be? And 
and we're not necessarily going to share our trauma stories. And I, I felt like maybe, maybe I could be the one to help channel this message because it's a vulnerable thing and no, not a lot of people want to share these things themselves. Mm -hmm. That's true. And yeah, I get that. I get that a lot. You know, I'm just honest when I go out and talk or any speaking events I do. Uh, I don't sugarcoat nothing. I think that's just the best way. I think that's how people want it to be, right? Because that's how they relate. Because uh, everybody's got their own story in their own life. You know, everybody's had their own traumas or own or whatever go on. And I think that if 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 I'm not being genuine when I talk or like we we say when you wrote, um, you know, people just aren't going to connect it. But I think people also need to learn and understand that and know it's okay. That's got to be why you're such a famous speaker then. <laughs> I'm a nobody. <laughs> oh, Cliff, stop. We love Cliff. He, he travels the nation and speaks to different. Yeah, I, I was told him I could mm-hmm. never do Okay. Never, right? Yeah. But- you know, it's, it's funny. I was always been a storyteller and I talk about this in my podcast, but ever since I was like in third grade, I could take and bring it. I grew up on a farm, right? So we, we tanned animals and we did all kinds of stuff. So I would bring every, all, all kinds of stuff in for show and tell on Fridays, right? It was show and tell day. And my third grade teacher to this day, children would tell people that I could take a raccoon skin and turn it into a whole, you know, Boone and Crockett story for <laughs> a half hour, uh, just making up stuff. So I've always been a storyteller. And so it came very easy and easy for me to go out and talk. But I will tell you that, you know, and, and I'm sure you experience this when you're writing your book. When you go through and you relive those traumas, you know, I relive it all the time, speaking about it. Uh, I'm sure you relive some of it when you were writing your book. Even as a clinician, you have to find ways to um, decompress yourself or kind of reset yourself or or just know when it's 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 too much. You need to step back for a second. And I think sometimes uh, we forget that and know that it's OK just to take that moment for myself to step aside uh, you know, even if you're, you know, uh, I'm a same whole parent right now. My wife's stationed in Rhode Island. We talked about this last episode. And so I'm dad and mom and, and a lot of a lot of women have experienced this and wives, you know, so now I'm in that role. and That's a new role for me. Um, and it's, you know, it has its its moments. And and I, I get it when, you know, you walk through the door and the wife hands you the baby and says, I need two hours or something. You're right. I understand that now fully. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I did fully understand it before. And, I'm, and so it's, it's important that people need to just take that moment for themselves. Right. And not feel guilty about it. You know, sometimes I think people feel guilty about just taking a, a moment for the to themselves. Uh, we, I, I had a hard time with it. Don't now, but I did before. So I just want to throw that in. Hardest job in the world right there. <laughs> <laughs> Say that again. I didn't hear you. I'm sorry. Hardest job in the world. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah, it's tough. You know, I got a, a seven-year-old and an 18-year-old. The 18-year-old is fine, but the seven-year-old, he's okay till nighttime comes and that's when he misses mom the most. And so bedtime is always a challenge. Uh, but you know, I try to read to him and he FaceTimes with her and, and I try to put him at ease. He still wakes up in the middle of the night and comes to get some bed with me. And, and, you know, just, he, he just having a hard, what, you know, all kids have transition, right? You know, dad's a fun guy during the day, but mom's the, the cuddle bug at night. Uh, so, you know, but it, we're, we're getting through it. It's, it's all good. <laughs> so <laughs> Elisa. <laughs> that's cute. Yeah. yeah. Um, Definitely being a parent is tough, especially when you're doing the long distance thing. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm on the same boat. Um, so, Elisa, we talked about um, your military career. We talked about the vet center and about the foundation with your research in suicide prevention. Um, what's next for you? What What do you have lined up? I have a very 
exciting job lined up. I mean, I'm excited about it. We'll see. But um, I was selected to be the PDHRA social worker on 29 Palms Marine Base Naval Station. Um, so I'm going to be at the Deployment Health Center and doing the screenings for people that are returning home. And for those that have mental health and substance abuse concerns after they return home. Um, so I'll, I'll get the eyes on like really early on now. So I'm very excited about this position. It starts on Monday. That's amazing. You're continuing your service um, to our veterans and military members. I love that. And, you know, for you to have that experience that you've had and, and to take that to soldiers redeploying back, uh, it's, you're going to do an amazing job there and you can do amazing things to a lot of people. You may not know it, but I know that you're going to do a lot of amazing help to a lot of sailors and air, airmen. I guess it's airmen and Marines coming back from deployment. So I guess Navy there too, right? Who are we be treating there? <laughs> it's I don't Navy. Know. Is it Navy and Marines? Navy and Marines. Okay. I, and, you know, I it, it's it's amazing to me because this base, it's like history for me. It's where my father retired. Um, oh, and I a lot as a kid. I went to the clinic to get vaccinations as a child. And um, it's, it's just really cool. I even told him like, isn't that crazy? The base you retired at is the one I am now about to work as wow. a Navy contractor. Yeah. I've never worked for the Navy before. So it's going to be, I'm going to learn a lot more. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> This this should be. In, do you have any advice for me? Actually, working working with the Navy. Oh well, you'll just be prepared to hear the f bomb a lot. We cuss yeah. a lot, like sailors, and um, I don't know if the drunken sailor thing is still a thing, but um, <laughs> to me, it is. So <laughs> I will definitely include for alcohol abuse issues. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The research shows if you have gone to any kind of combat zone or combat tour, you are a lot more likely to develop an alcohol abuse issue, specifically alcohol, combat, alcohol, they mix, but they're not supposed to mix. But so, um, and I, and I've talked to Cliff about this. Um, the last time we went live is I haven't really talked about my PTSD, but my PTSD is diagnosed as, um, PTSD with major depressive alcoholic syndrome or something like that, like, so I, with alcoholism. So I'm actually diagnosed as an alcoholic through the VA with okay. that. So I'm, I, it, I'm and it, it's, I don't want to say good, but it's on paper. And yeah. if yeah. it's, if, if it's encompassing what you're struggling, then I'm glad that they put that on paper for you. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, um, yeah, cause being in a combat zone and expeditionary units, especially with Marines, um, it's definitely, you know, taxing. So, yes. <laughs> so a lot of, uh, military members, not just Navy, um, turn to alcohol and partying and yep. stuff like that. So I'm not a stranger I, to I it. I'm going through it. So, yeah. And, 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 I, and, and I said this last show, I, I appreciate Lynn talking about it because I know it's hard, right? You know, I talk about my mm-hmm. PTSD all the time. It doesn't make it any easier. Uh, of course, I have TBI and other stuff, um, service-related yeah. ADHD based on my my TBI, uh, you know, as, as, along with my post-traumatic stress. And then, of course, you know, as a suicide survivor, they always say you're more apt to attempt again, which I would never go down that road. But, you know, you have that more apt. apt. You, you walk into a clinic. I didn't realize this. The first time I walked to a mental health clinic at Fort Eustis, and I wrote down on the paper, you know, I was a suicide survivor, man, they, I saw a technician like immediately, you know, they were like jumped on and I didn't realize it. 
you know, that, that you're more apt to uh, complete suicide again. So I, that was something that I had learned, you know, several years ago, but yeah. Um, at least I know, are we wrapping up now? Are we get close to wrapping up, but before close we close to, it yeah. out, I mm-hmm. want, uh, for, I want you to be, cause we're going to talk about other stuff. We don't want to forget, but I want you to tell people how they can buy your book, where they can get your book from, uh, how can they purchase it? So they can see it. Is it, is it available on audio or not? Uh, so if somebody wants to go out there and, and, and read your book unforeseen that they'd be able to, to find it and get it and, and, and to go ahead and order it. Yes. Um, so as far as I know, there's no audio just yet. They want to do that. What they wanted was for me to read the audio. Yes, and I yes. just said, I'm sorry, I cannot read my yeah. book. <laughs> I can't. But um, there, there's ebook. And then there's a fi- if you want the physical copy. I mean, it's, it's on Amazon. It's on Barnes and several other book websites. But the easiest way is to go to my author website, which is elisaesclante.com. Um, I also have an Instagram writer page called Elisa Quotes, and that has a link to my blog and talks about my website as well. My website is connected to my blog. So I just have this whole chain of things that are. That's right. We forgot to talk about your blog. You are a blogger, just like Cliff. um, So how long have you been doing your blog for? I think a year and a half Mm -hmm. now. It's a mental it's called functionally mental and um you know it's not military or veteran specific this one is for any and everyone you know and um it's really just a lot about the average person and what they're struggling with throughout the day a lot about society pressure (laughs) societal pressures and how you know basically functioning with mental illness i'm giving people functioning you know, doing what you have to do, whether it be raising families or having nine to five jobs and, you know, dealing with all that struggle and pressure while also dealing with mental health conditions and, or just mental health stress, you know, because that's, there's absolutely not a person alive that is not dealing with something like that. Yeah. I, uh, on my Instagram page, I posted a picture of me after I finished my workout and I talked about seasonal depression. A lot of people forget about that. You know, we're in winter time now that's not as light as much. And, you know, that's a big issue that, that people deal with. And if you already have uh, issues to begin with, that's just another layer they got stacked on top of you that can start to weigh you down. Yep. Oh, the joy of the true. Yeah. I think I, um, <laughs> We're not, we I, can't be in Florida like Lynn, right? Or California hey, I'm like you. I'm in Virginia. I'm, it's I'm like wearing 12 a sweater. degrees. It's like 50 or 60 degrees right now. But the winter anyway. was uh, <laughs> six degrees today here this morning. <laughs> No, thank you. Yeah. You can have that. I still wear shorts. So I'm the guy that wears shorts and flip-flops no. around. I'm that guy. <laughs> Desert now. So, so glad. Yeah. All right. So one more time for our viewers, Elisa, let us know what your website is and where they can find your book. ElisaEscalante.com. And there is links to Amazon and Barnes um, on the website. All right. And Cliff, talk about your podcast, your website and where they can find you at. Oh, yeah. So first of all, I, I want to say that if you're going to buy Lisa's book, uh, you know, I know Amazon makes things very easy, but Amazon has their fees. Uh, so if you would buy it directly from her website, I'm sure she'd be greatly appreciative of that. Uh, higher percentage goes back back to her. And so she continue with, with what she's doing. If you want to learn more about me, you can go to cliffordbauman.com. That's my website. Uh, also, my Facebook page is, is Clifford Bauman. Also, uh, you can find my podcast on Tuesdays at 8 p.m., The Mental Health Warrior. And uh, Lisa, I'd love to have you come on my show sometime and, 
and we can talk about maybe some tools that somebody can use as you as a technician who's maybe watching my podcast that they could take and use uh, to make their life a little bit better. Sure. Sounds good. And I actually downloaded Elisa's book on Kindle um, so I could get it right away um, instead of getting the hard copy because I wanted to read it um, before uh, we we uh, did the interview. And that's funny, Lynn was uh, mm-hmm. texting me about your book before we went on air yeah. talking about how <laughs> great like, it was. You can really Aww. read this. It's awesome. You know, you can really help you. And I could read in her text how excited she was yeah, about it. I loved it. <laughs> yeah. So we have we actually have a, a book club uh, with VTT that meets sparingly. So I'll probably um, recommend this book and and then we'll probably do a show about it. And if we do, we'd get you back on after everyone's done reading it. Um, so anyway, you guys, thank you uh, for the viewers who tuned in. Um, once again, thank you so much, Elisa, for coming in and joining us. Cliff, uh, it's always a pleasure with you guys. This is Throat Punch Mondays with VTT Veteran Trash Talk. Go ahead and check out our website, VeteranTrashTalk.com to listen, watch, and shop. So we have our uh, shop there. You can get a shirt, a, a sweater like this. Fire. This Thank is you. the uh, the 22 Daniel shirt. So can you turn <laughs> Oh, yeah. Veteran 22. There you go. You know, so definitely trying to end veteran suicide, soldier suicide. I'm um, trying to make a dent into that number, um, but support our shop. Uh, and then support our podcast. You can find us on YouTube, on Spotify, and anywhere you can get your podcasts at. And once again, this is Throat Punch Mondays. Thanks you guys. Thank you guys for uh, tuning in, and we'll see you guys next time. Yep. Have a great week. Bye. Thank Bye, you. Guys.